Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. It's after 3 o'clock. Welcome back. How are you? Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you on a lovely Thursday afternoon. Greger Show is always presented by uh, PlayAlberta.ca. And if you're looking for uh, something maybe a little bit different, where you feel like, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm going to win the big lottery. Well, what about just playing the uh, the Daily Grand? You can win $1,000 a day for life. You can get your tickets on uh, today's draw. It's uh, 20 years, actually. $7.2 million. So uh, get your tickets at playalberta.ca. I've always said. And you just think, like, there'd be something very rewarding. You know, you get like the big will some great, but every day you wake up, it's like, oh, there's a thousand bucks. So you still kind of got to drive. You know, you got some drive to keep going for a while, kind of keep you in the know what's happening. But every day, maybe you go pick it up yourself. Maybe you're like, I would like cash. Well, probably not. E-transfer. Just every day you get a little bing, a $1,000 deposit. Thank you very much. Now let's get on with the day. That'd be fantastic. I like it. So I get it at PlayAlberta.ca. Lots and lots of texts coming in at 833-401-1440 in our E-Well inbox. Hey, guys. What are your thoughts realistically on Bugstad? I, I think it's been there, done that. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not a big believer in like, you know, the bring guys back. He's been here once. He had a chance to resign in Edmonton. He elected to go back to Arizona. And now is it 2.1 million? The Oilers can't have a two million dollar player on the fourth line, so I don't see how Nick Bugstad works. I know people are like, oh, I saw Nick Bugstad last year, and I saw Cost, and I get it, but you got to expand your horizons. I, I'll put it this way. How many of you are always like, oh, you know what? How about I call my ex again? How often does it work? Right? Many of you have tried it. Most unsuccessful. Because we always forget about the things that we didn't like. We focus on the things that were good. <laughs> so, and hey, Bukestad was good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't, uh, I, I don't see it. I, I think he was comfortable in Arizona. He obviously likes it there. He got paid. You know, got the 2.1 million. Now, he'd made big money before, right? He had that six-year deal at 4.1. So, I, you know, I think there's a comfort level uh, from him and his family. So, I don't I don't see Bukestad really as an option. Hey, Gregor, uh, I haven't heard many people uh, mention Carrick. What made you uh, think of him? Well, I'm looking around the league, and I'm looking at guys who uh, uh, fit the mold on what the Edmonton Orders would need as a fourth-line center. Right? Because I think they need an upgrade. So, then you start looking at teams that are out of it, uh, a team that would be uh, would probably be willing to trade. And like, I don't think uh, Carrick is a guy that Anaheim's like, well, we can't lose this guy. I right? think like he's, you know, he's in his 30s. He's been around for a while. 
right? Doesn't make a lot of money. I don't, uh, I don't see there being a, a big cost acquisition, right? He's been with the Ducks for six years. I think it was started in Toronto and, you know, then, uh, went to the AHL for a few years and kind of found his way as an NHLer in Anaheim. Decent players played over 200 games in the NHL. He is kind of your prototype fourth liner. He's having a good year. He's got seven goals playing basically fourth line minutes. Now he doesn't have the same underlying numbers. As a guy like Dowd, like, do I think straight up he's as good as Dowd? I do not. I think the acquisition cost would be would be much lower. But it's like anything. You get what you pay for. So if you believe the orders are truly a contender, and I do, if I'm like, well, I can get Carrick for a second or third, but I can get Dowd for a first, I'm sorry. I'm going with Dowd if it's me. And I'm not one who, I don't think that's a fantasy trade. I think Barkley, Goudreau, there's an example. There's There is a value chart that shows, hey, Somebody that you value that much, that's what it's going to be worth. And he's got another year left in his deal. So you're not just getting him for one year. And that's why I would like to to throw in the Beck Malenstein with it. Now, obviously, I know that's a bigger trade and it's a little bit harder to do. But I really think Edmonton right now, like right now today, their, their fourth line is like you're just hoping that they could end the game even. That's like that's best case scenario right now. You go into the game hoping that they can be even. Right? That's it. Do you honestly expect the fourth line to outscore the opposition the way they played now for the last month and a half? I don't. And and the problem is they, they don't have anybody that's got a real significant identity on what they do on that line. Right? Like they're not they're not big. They're not physical. Yeah, okay, they forecheck, and Brown's good at not taking pucks away. I'll give him that. I have no problem with effort. It's nothing about effort. Because trust me, like, if you're, well, he tries hard. Well, you're in the NHL. Like, I'm sorry, that's, like, that's the low bar of expectation, I would think. Guy works hard. Like, my God. You're a fourth-line guy in the NHL. You're not going to stay there if you don't work hard. So I don't think that's a real big selling feature. But honestly, what do they do? What do they bring? Like, remove the emotional connection of guys. And, hey, Sam Gagne's had an unbelievable career. Right? Extremely good career. Thousand games, man. Kidding me? Derek Ryan, unbelievable late developer, came in, you know, did to the U of A, then he played overseas for a bit. He's come in. He's had a really good career. Probably unexpected. Not many guys become rookies in the NHL at 28 and play as well as he does. But on a cup contender right now, are they what you want on your fourth line? And, and it's it's a hard decision to have. And it doesn't, I think too often some people think it means, oh, it's a bad person or they're a bad player. You just, you have to look at what style do they play? And is it conducive to what you want for a fourth line in the playoffs when you're probably going to have to face Vegas? Look at their fourth line. And then you might have to play Dallas or Vancouver, right? Like it's every line matters when you want to win the cup. You you can't get away with kind of having a line that you can hide and just hope and pray that they break even. You just can't do it. So I think Ken Allen, they got three weeks. That's their main focus. I understand the need for a second line right winger. That would be nice. But I honestly think two guys in your fourth line, 
especially if it's Dowd and Malenstein, because that is going to free up some matchups for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. It might only be one or two shifts a period, but that could be the difference in winning a game. If all of a sudden you're at home and you're Chris Knobloch and you're like, I'm pretty confident Dowd and Malenstein can go out there and all the numbers show it. They've out, they're out, not just breaking even, they're outscoring elite competition in Washington. I don't need to outscore them. Just break even. Take a few shifts away from McDavid. Now all of a sudden you're at home in the first period and McDavid's going out against the other team's fourth line and there's not many Nick Dowds out there. That's just a fact. Right? There's not a lot of fourth line guys who are playing over 230 minutes against elite players thus far in the season. Right? Just, just to give you a, um, a comparison, because I think it's important. I'm going to look up Ryan McLeod, who's the third line center in Edmonton, and find out how many minutes he has played this year against elite opposition. Right? So, uh, I'm looking at Ryan McLeod. He's played 171 and he's the third line guy in Edmonton. You can remember bringing Nick Dowd. To me, that's a, that's a great addition to your team. So that's why I see it. I, I like Bukestad, but I, I, honestly, I don't, I don't think it, A's work, like he's almost double the price. So. Hey, guys, the fourth line seemed to look better when they had Hamlin and Ernie that has Lady. I think they would use either of them as an option again from Peter. Uh, not Hamlin. Uh, Ernie, at least, when Ernie was on the ice, he had something, right? He was physical. He'd go up and down wings, and he's big and thick. He didn't lose puck battles, right? That's what he did. So there was an identity there. I, I think if they had to, he's the guy they would bring back out of the two of them. I would agree with you, though. That line did score more than. Like, Yanmark can't score in the ocean right now, and Brown can't score in two oceans. It's not ideal. Hey, Gregor Hamilton's a playoff team, but they're not a Stanley Cup contender from Yegbuds, who, who then says I'm a homer. You're right, Yegbuds. The Oilers aren't a Stanley Cup contender, even though right now they're the Stanley Cup favorite on every betting line. But you're right. It's just a guy in Edmonton. Thanks for, thanks for exposing yourself. We appreciate it. It's always good. I love it when others just expose themselves for it. I don't have to say anything. So it's great. Hey, guys, as much as people need to realize uh, we can't fall in love with third and fourth line guys and overpay them. We do this too often from Dean. It's fair point, Dean. It's right. Like you, you got to remove emotion. You can like players and then say, okay, is this the, is this the makeup that's going to help the team win? And right now their bottom line just doesn't have it. They just don't. So. Hey, Gregor, what do you think the cost would be for that package? Well, it's going to be a first automatically. Uh, then you're going to throw in Yanmark or Brown to make the cap work. And uh, then you're going to have to give another pick or a prospect for uh, for Malenstein. Now, is Beck Malenstein, I don't think he's worth a second. It's probably a third. All right, you're shipping out guys to make the money work. That's what I think it would be. Now, Washington might want a prospect instead of the third rounder very possible because we both know a first and a third in 2024 isn't helping Washington until probably 2028 for the first and 2029 or 30 for the third rounder. That's just the truth. I think too often people forget that. So I understand some of it because we got Greg, you can't give up a first rounder for a fourth line center. Well, why? If it's going to help you win the Stanley cup and you believe your team is close 
and he can give you two kicks at the can at a really good value at $1.3 million. Why can't you? Are you like, let's go back and look the last few years of draft picks between the uh, rounds of picks 25 to 32. Like, first of all, there's no guarantee that pick pans out. Okay. No guarantee at all. Right. A, none of the players from last year's draft are in there. And here's some of the names. Let me know if you've heard people raving about these guys this year in junior or wherever they're at. Gabriel Perot, Tanner Mullendick, uh, Otto Stenberg, Quinton Musty, Callum Ritchie, Easton Cowan, probably for a bit, Theo Lindstein, Bradley Nadeau, Mikhail Guliev, David Enstrom. Good players. How long, how, how far away are they? And are you going to lock it in for sure that you know they're all going to compete and they're going to be NHL guys? Right? Go the year before, Philip Bystead, Philip Mazur, Sam Rinzel, Maverick La- Lamaru, Brad Lambert in the minors, Isaac Howard, Reed Schaefer. Right? Like, you don't know. I don't know. That's why it's hard to draft those guys. But I know what you're getting in nicked out. I know exactly what I'm getting in nicked out. And I'll tell you right now, the odds even one of those guys becomes as good as consistent of a player's nicked out as low if we're just playing the odds. So you, first round picks, I think in Edmonton sometimes there's a, oh, first rounder is Connor McDavid. First rounder is Nugent Hopkins. First rounders, you know, Darnell Nurse. No, those are top 10 first rounders. Yours aren't trading the top 10. Right? Order fans are hoping they don't have a top 10 for another decade because that means your team's ultra competitive. So I, I don't think you can be scared to uh, to deal a first rounder if you can get some players that are going to help you now and give you a legit shot. Now, there's no guarantee that you're going to win. But I'll tell you right now, the orders aren't winning with what they have as a fourth line right now. And they're a good team, but I don't believe they could win the cup. If, they, if the playoffs started today with their fourth line, I think it would get exposed and it would hurt them a lot in the playoffs. 321. Oh man, I can't wait till we have TR on the show. His, uh, he's having like a real life planes, trains, and automobiles moment right now. Right. Uh, yeah, we told you he was, he was at uh, Disney World having a great time. Now they want to fly home, but there's 50 centimeters of snow on the East Coast right now. He can't, he can't get in. So they've been delayed. They were supposed to fly out yesterday. Can't do it. So now, <laughs> he, cause he's supposed to be, uh, on this weekend at a, at a charity tournament for an alumni event. And so, because he was supposed to fly home, get his gear, and then he was going to fly right back out uh, this morning to it. So what they're doing is they're, they've sent some people to his house with FedEx. They're packing his hockey bag, but his neighbor's helping pack, and the neighbor's not a hockey player, so he's worried that they're not going to get all the stuff in the bag. So he's like on FaceTime showing them how to pack the stuff and make sure they got everything. And then they're going to FedEx that, and then so he's going to now, he's trying to divert so he can fly to his, uh, to his event. It's uh, and the buddy might be taking a bus. Unbelievable. So, well, uh, TR might join us later today. He's <laughs> trying to get it all organized. But, hey, that's the one thing. When you get that much snow, man, that is uh, it can cause some havoc. Uh, no question for a variety of things. Konza, where do you come out on on the Oilers and a first rounder? What, what do you have a line on what you would on what you would need to give up a first rounder? Uh, someone who helps the team. Yeah, I mean, I mean, hey, let's look at this realistically. The Oilers, if you're giving up a first round pick and you're in this position, you're doing so because you expect it to give you a better shot at winning the Stanley Cup, right? And we can go back and look at the history of, you know, first rounders to be selected in the the final pick of the first round or final two, final three, final four. You know what? You you got to give 
to receive in this league, especially the trade deadline. Uh, you're always going to be giving up a little bit, maybe more than you want to. So, no, Gregor, for me, if, if it's someone who's going to come in here and help this team make them more uh, complete, then you got to do it. And I, I think Ken Holland kind of said that like the last couple of years, and he, he showed he wants to make sure if he's going to do that, he can as a, as a player that's not just a rental, get some term out of it, make sure they're here for a couple of years minimum. So for me, it's it's just got to be someone that you can plug and play, gets them in there immediately, and they're going to contribute and go on an extended run here. First round pick to me, Gregor, it's not going to be a top five, top ten pick, so the value isn't quite as high as it might be to some people out there. Quick break. Uh, we will return. Jason Gregor, Connor Halley with you on uh, Sports 1440. Uh, we are going to uh, going to switch gears a little bit. Have you envisioning something that makes you warm inside? Next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 329, welcome back. Jason Gregor, Connor Halley with you. Sports 1440, Oilers Nation, YouTube, and Facebook. Gregor Show, always presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Orders into St. Louis tonight to take on the Blues. Stuart Skinner will get the start. Dylan Holloway, if you missed it, uh, he's moving on up. Going to play with Kane and Dreisaitl. Perry with McLeod and Fogel. Top line is the same. And uh, Sam Gagne is out. And tonight it's Yanmark. Ryan and Brown as a coach trying to find anything. Um, but I think at this point, you, uh, till uh, insanity definition, uh, do the same thing, expecting different results. I'm just, I'm not sure the makeup of, uh, the fourth line is, is going to produce a whole bunch. You know what? Could they chip in a goal eventually? Like the odds would tell me at some point they're going to score, but I don't, uh, even if they score a goal tonight, that doesn't change my opinion on, uh, what they need for their fourth line. Now, let's get to the uh, MLB report brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling, home of the no payments, no interest for one year on your furnace. You're going to stay warm all winter at LegacyHeating.ca as Thomas Hall uh, from Blue Jays Nation uh, joins us to talk a little uh, baseball. Of course, uh, players, hey, we're into February. Players about to report. I saw pitchers from uh, lots of different places and everybody's getting ready for uh, for spring training. The main question, of course, Thomas, is going to be Alex Manoa. Uh, what's your expectations on Manoa this year? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a wide variety of, of different ways Manoa can can take things in, in 2024. Obviously, we saw the, the the basement of where things can take or where things can go with Manoa last season, where it was an absolute disaster. Right, he gets sent down to the minors multiple times. Um, is upset with the second demotion, doesn't report immediately to AAA, um, et cetera. The whole story unfolded in a way that nobody foresaw uh, it happening. And then obviously 2022 happened, and he was a third-place Cy Young um, award finisher. Um, now hopefully um, he gets off to a, a good start this spring and is able to hit the ground running when the regular season uh, opens. Um, but my expectations for him is just at, at the very least to help this Blue Jays pitching staff get off to a good start next season. Because as things currently are constructed, he doesn't need to be a top-of-the-line starting pitcher. Right now, the bare minimum for him is just to be you know, that complementary back-end-of-the-rotation pitcher to help 
close the gap a little bit and and provide a, some stability for a rotation that you know is probably due for some regression given how effective they were last season and how healthy they were in 2023 as well so if we can get some sort of level of consistency from from Manoa even as a back end starter things should be in a, a respectable position for him what about the, you know, like their overall pitching staff? Um, you know, you talked about the starters last year were pretty good. Um, what, what can you tell us about their recent signing? What's the expectations? Yeah, Yariel Rodriguez is is somebody I was really keen on throughout this winter and somebody who uh, is going to be probably a bit of an X factor for this team. Um, you know, right now, as things stand, uh, he has yet to report to spring training due to visa issues, but hopefully that's going to happen. It could happen as early as tomorrow, but for right now, it, it sounds like he's going to be stretched out as a starter. Um, but given the layoff that he had, the fact that he didn't pitch last year outside of the World Baseball Classic, it's going to take a bit of time for him to build up as a starter. And with that in mind, I, I truly believe that he's probably behind the, the, the eight, ball, or eight ball a little bit. And just, I, I truly think he's destined to start at AAA this season coming up, just to to give him a little bit of a, a footing as a starter and be able to hone in his craft a little bit. Because right now his arsenal is is really developed to being a reliever, whether that's a, a multi inning one or a high leverage arm. Um, but if he can develop his secondary pitches a little bit more and help complement his fastball slider mix. Um, he could eventually uh, turn into an impact starter for this team. But for right now, I, I think, you know, we'll see what happens when he steps on the field this spring, but I would probably temper expectations just a little bit for him off the jump and, and hope that he's somebody we see, whether it's in the rotation or the bullpen, you know, down the line, whether it's, you know, May or June. Looking at the overall pitching staff, you know, you, you know, there's probably going to be a little bit of a battle maybe for the uh, fifth because, you know, Gausman, uh, uh, Barrios, uh, ba- uh, uh, Chris Bassett, uh, uh, Kikuchi, who had an unbelievable bounce back year last year. I don't think anybody saw that coming. So you, you wonder kind of where he's going to be. And then if it's Manoa, uh, Bowden Francis, uh, uh, Rodriguez, as you mentioned. But, you know, you get to the relievers. Obviously, they got an elite closer in Romano. Uh, you know, I like Nate Pearson. He's got a lot of potential. Tim Mays is still there. Um, what about some of the new guys, you know, Chad Green and, and others? You know, is anybody in the that you expect out of the bullpen maybe to surprise Jays fans? Yeah, I mean, a, a full season of Chad Green should be a welcomed addition to this bullpen. Um, you know, like he, he had a, a strong return in, in most respects from Tommy John surgery last year. But, you know, w- like we see with most pitchers coming off such a significant recovery, it's, it's really that second year where they look closer back to the pitcher that they were prior to undergoing surgery. So I, I would probably circle him as a name that I would keep an eye on this spring and, and early on next season or this season too. Um, Yenix is Cabrera as well. Like the Blue Jays picked him up under the, under the radar uh, during the middle of last season. And as that second lefty in the pen, as we saw last year, he was really crucial to the success of this bullpen and allowing somebody like Tim Meza to work in later innings in those matchups versus left-handed hitters. So those are two names that I would expect to, to have a, 
or just to be able to further lengthen this Blue Jays bullpen out. Um, and Nate Pearson, too, like you mentioned, he's somebody that is probably right now on the outside of the picture looking in. But if he has a strong spring, who knows? I mean, he could force the envelope. Maybe he forces somebody like Trevor Richards out of the equation, forcing, you know, a subsequent subsequent trade. Uh, Mitch White, too. I mean, he's somebody that has to compete for a spot on this team this spring. And given the way he finished last season, I mean, he's somebody that could absolutely help this team in 2024 as well. Interesting. I look at uh, at the Jays. Thomas Hall joins us from uh, Blue Jays Nation. Right now, correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, but right now, is it not projected they're only going to have like three outfielders on the uh, on the opening day roster? Is, is that am, am I missing someone? Is you know yeah, what? No, no, three three true outfielders as of right now. I think Davis Schneider's probably somebody okay. that would help them out in the outfield, and, and Isaiah Kiner Falefa as well. Okay. So, but is that a concern? You get one injury to uh, now. It's, I forget his name off the top of my head, but they got the the young high draft pick. They're high. It, do you think there's any chance he could come in if there's an injury in the outfield? Uh, is, is Alan Roden the guy you were thinking of? Yeah, yeah. So I th- I think like. To start the season, probably not. Um, I think there's probably a higher chance we see somebody like Addison Barger make an impact before we see Roden. Um, But I I would say that the fact that the Blue Jays are a little thin in the outfield is still concerning. Like, you know, as much as we are focusing now on the 2024 season, we still have to remember that this team is still lacking one bat. Yeah. Right, like I, I do think the Blue Jays would benefit from acquiring, whether it's a platoon outfielder or somebody who plays more regularly, like you know Cody Bellinger, who's still out in free agency. But I think more realistically, this team still needs to go out and explore the reserve outfield market, and especially with with names still available like Tommy Pham, Robbie Grossman, and Adam Duvall. Of those three, any one of them could help shore up that weakness in the outfield that the Jays right, have right now. Yeah. Um, looking at the Jays and you look at the AL East, it, it looks pretty competitive. Um, assuming there's no major injuries or anything, kind of where do you see the Jays slotting in the East? So right now, um, I'd probably see them as a wildcard team. And, you know, obviously that's not the goal and it shouldn't be the goal for this team. Like that should be winning the division. But you know, when you look at this team realistically, even though they're betting on a lot of their key bats regressing to the mean and, and outperforming their underwhelming results from last season, I, I still don't see how this team projects to be any better than a wild card team. Um, you know, right now I see Baltimore as the uh, Baltimore and, and the Yankees as probably the two favorites to win the division, and then you also have the Tampa Bay Rays. So right now, like I, I, I'd be hard to see the Jays positioned any better than fourth in the pecking order in the division right now. And, you know, that's, that, that's less than ideal for this team. Like they're, they're going to have to make up a lot of ground to be able to close that gap. Really appreciate the rundown, my man, Thomas. Um, I guess lastly for the, uh, the catchers, cause of course uh, they report uh, with the pitchers. Um, what, what do you make of the uh, behind the plate for the Jays? Because I know there's still lots of people, when, and I understand that the Varsho trade, and you look what happened there, they uh, might be regretting that deal a little bit, especially behind the plate. 
Yeah, I mean, Varsho is somebody just with how reliable he is as an outfield defender. He, he's probably not somebody that you really think as as a catcher anymore. I, I think that that conversation has sailed for for now. But who knows? I mean, injuries can happen, and and boom, you need him behind the plate. Um, but I, I think if that were to happen, they probably look to Buffalo to to fill that spot. But with Kirk and Jansen, I mean. You know, those are still two of the better catchers, or at least two of, or the, one of the better duos uh, in baseball behind the plate. Now, obviously, Kirk didn't have a good 2023 season, and and Jansen got hurt, um, which you know it has been very consistent, unfortunately, for him throughout his big league career. But if Kirk can bounce back and Jansen can stay relatively healthy, this catching duo that the Blue Jays have should be among the better in all of baseball. Yeah. All right. I like it. Uh, Thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk more ball with you throughout the year. Have a great day, Thomas. Of course. Enjoy the Oilers game tonight. There you go. That's uh, Thomas Hall from uh, Blue Jays Nation. Hey, he knows. It's a hockey town for sure. But uh, catchers and uh, pitchers reporting. Alex Manoa, no question. That is the uh, the most intriguing one. And when you look at Kikuchi, because remember two years ago, people were ripping. Like, they hated him. Ah, he's so brutal. Because he didn't have a good year. And then he bounced back. Can Alex Manoa bounce back? We'll find out. If he does, that that would be monumental for the uh, Jays. And I, I don't know if he has to be as dominant as he was two years ago. But let's just even say he's 85% of that guy. Still a pretty good pitcher. Be uh, very good for them. Uh, uh, we're hoping to have TR in the uh, four o'clock hour. His uh, planes, trains, and automobile odyssey is uh, continuing on. <laughs> uh, his good buddy Ken Reed will uh, join us. We'll talk uh, all things uh, NHL. Four o'clock hour. We got spec. Uh, we're going to hear from uh, Chris Knobloch. Uh, also, if you missed it, uh, Dylan Holloway will. Uh, and he played there a little bit last uh, game, but uh, he is going to start tonight on the right wing with Kane and Drysaddle, and uh, Corey Perry will play with Fogel and. McLeod, uh, when we return, there's a, there's, oh man, I'm not sure there's a, a better sport for creating drama. And uh, we'll talk about that next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. 347 <laughs> on Edmonton's uh, sports leader, uh, Sports 1440, uh, Jason Gregor, Connor Halley uh, with you. Uh, con man, give me a little bit of a chuckle there. The, uh, Music selection here for the uh, segment. Um, I get the underlying tones there, you two. I get the underlying tones. Um, we'll get to the uh, racing report now, brought to you by Can Torque. And racing season is uh, right around the corner. And uh, guess what? Uh, in honor of a new racing season, there's a whole new website, uh, all new revamped, renewed, easier to use. Go to cantorque.com. And as a bonus, you can uh, watch and hear all of the uh, racing report right there at cantorque.com. Colin Livingston uh, joins us uh, in studio once again. And uh, we'll, we'll get to the Daytona in a second, Colin. But uh, I know for F1, we're, uh, we're a week away from from uh, uh, the presentation and I've been reading up and everyone's like, Ooh, but uh, there's all the secrecy around it. Like, I don't really know if it matters. Like I, I don't I, now, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a newbie on this, but it's not like if let's say Mercedes comes out and they show their car that all of a sudden Ferrari and Red Bull can counter their car to that car. Can they? No. Yeah, no, okay. not at all. I mean, it takes a long time to develop parts, and every little change you make to one part has an effect on another part. Now, what most of the teams are doing is 
they're presenting their livery, their paint job, the the way that the car is going to look for the season. They're not really showing you what the parts are because they know the other teams are going to be looking. They're going to be watching. It'll give them a chance to kind of see what direction someone's going in, but they're going to be able to do that throughout the course of the season. It's it's kind of an antiquated way to do things is, is the short way to put it for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, you know what, uh, now the, the testing in Bahrain, um, comes up and, and then everybody has to kind of, I guess, put their cards on the table. Is that the, is that the fair for uh, sure. way to say it? Um, what, what are you expecting real? Like when you watch it as a racing guy, like what do you take away from that? Um, I mean, what we're hoping for is that someone steps up to be able to give Red Bull a challenge, like winning all but one race last year. Good on them. Like yeah, the most dominated. successful season in F1 history, the most successful driver uh, in a single season. Great benchmark. I will say the most boring season as well. <laughs> Just want to point that out. It, it uh, yeah, it it would have been fairly easy to make a few few dollars gambling if that's someone's you know proclivity. But um, it sounds like you know Mercedes is kind of wiping the slate clean. Yeah, they went down one road with their car. It was a neat concept, but it was flawed from the beginning, and they chased it for a year and a half. When they decided to abandon the concept last year, they were still stuck with a bunch of key components. Again, you can't just, you know, take a bunch of body work off, put a bunch of body work on if the, you know, the floor is not right, if the chassis is not right. And, you know, they've, they've redesigned everything. The one of the big, the two big complaints that the drivers, I guess it's three big complaints that the drivers had at Mercedes last year. They were sitting too far forward, which is a really, really bad feeling. If you're too, like, they were, feeling like they were sitting over the the front axles hmm. which is a terrible feeling for a driver. a driver okay they really struggled with their aerodynamics especially around teams with DRS open or even when they tried to open their DRS that the car was just just dragging like crazy and their rear end i the i want to say it was evil the word that they used was spiteful so <laughs> you want there's a there's a certain sequence of events that you want with yeah. your car. So as you get in, you want to do the majority of your braking in a straight line. You want to ease off. So as you're braking, everything goes to the front. Okay. As you start easing off the brakes, you start loading your rear again. And that's where the rear arrow starts to, you know, take over from being nose down. But as they started to load their, their rear end, it was unpredictable. Sometimes it would want to do one thing. Sometimes yeah. it would want to do another. It was crazy. So that's where they, they've, you know, they basically said they've gutted the car. They started with a new chassis. They've got all new body work, um, and, and a completely new rear end. So is it going to work? We won't know until race one. These teams are, you know, Red Bull is likely not going to run full throttle. They're likely not going to run everything they've got. They're going to kind of keep the bar low. They're going to sandbag a little bit. But teams like Mercedes, McLaren, Ferrari, they're chasing. They can't really hold anything back. They're going to have what they have, and they need to test everything to the limit because you've only got three days. They're not really going to be able to get a good idea of their engine life. They're not really going to be able to get a good idea of, of you know, if there's any kind of component issue. So they've got to run. They've got to come up with a really solid run plan and just stick to it and, and where they go. So if they don't know about their engine life, 
Should they change this so you would know all these things so when the season begins there's less questions? I, I shouldn't have said the engine thing because okay. their, their engines haven't really changed. No, it's okay. not like they're not allowed to redesign anything. So, you know, their predictability is going to be fine. But how does the engine react with all the new parts? How does the new transmission react? Like it, the, by changing all the car components, you're going to get different dynamics in there. The, the, the durability isn't really going to be the big thing, but that's what I think of as kind of one of the main things that's going to fail in a car is the engine. But, um, it, being that there's not a lot of changes, they should have a pretty good baseline there. But how everything else, uh, ties in together is, is what they really need to figure out. Like, they're going to go from a, a pull rod rear end to a push rod, completely different technology. How is it going to respond? They're going to totally different, you know, body work. How is that? How are all those components going to get affected? So it's it's going to be interesting to see where everybody's at. Uh, moving to IndyCar, uh, the McLaren driver, uh, David Malukas, uh, damaged his wrist in a mountain biking accident. So yeah. I know that in certain sports, they have cut, it says you can't do certain things. Uh, and obviously, I guess you can mountain bike if you're a car racer. And so I wonder if there's some sort of connection as is what they're doing in reaction time i don't know either way but is this surprising to you do have you heard like are there stipulations and contracts for these guys and did he break that at all not really anymore no okay. because how a driver wants to train is kind of up to the driver it's not okay. like he was um you know skydiving and his parachute didn't open it was just an unfortunate thing um you know i actually got to interview uh david last year he was driving for dale coin he's moving over to mclaren so yeah. like a big step up to one that of the big, big teams yeah. really really good kid really like truly hilarious especially once we turn the cameras off he was you know kind of once he was unfiltered he was um he was even more funny than he was on camera but okay. um yeah definitely going to be watching him this year it just sounds like he got a bit of ligament damage they had to do the surgery yesterday he's likely going to miss at least the first race at saint pete um and they haven't said who's going to fill in for him and of course, uh, this weekend, uh, NASCAR, the Daytona 500 is here. One of the, uh, the marquee events uh, on the NASCAR season. Um, now I, I would openly admit this. I am not as up to date on the rules and everything for NASCAR from race to race. Um, they, they had their, uh, the single qualifying was ran last night. Yep. But didn't really seem to determine anything. Yeah. Or am I missing something? It's, the most convoluted qualifying process, especially when you factor in that where you qualify, the only thing that matters is whether you get into the event or not. It doesn't, you could start dead last and have a shot to win. It, that's not, you, it's, it's quite, it, it's not easy to do. That's not an easy race to win, but you'll have as good a shot as anyone. It's not like a standard race where if you're that far off the pace, you won't be competitive because of the way that those cars run. They need the aerodynamic advantage of having someone in front of them. So as long as you can, you know, work your way through traffic and as long as you can stay close to the fast cars, you're going to be there at the end. The big thing with Daytona, because they run so close and there's such a high likelihood of multiple big accidents, as long as you stay out of the accident, you got a really good shot of, you know, uh, top 10, uh, top 15 finish, um, you know, definitely not my favorite form of racing, but, you know, racing's back, so it's going to be something to watch. Um, but, yeah, they run uh, single car qualifying yesterday, which only locks in the first two spots. 
the only thing that is guaranteed is spots one and spots two. A handful of the um, the part-time teams got locked into the event, but we don't know where they're going to start till after tonight. Tonight they run what they call the, the dual races, yeah. um, where they take the whole field and run, it used to be 125, it's a 150-mile race tonight, half the field, and then after that race they run the other half, and where you finish in that race determines where you start the the big race on Sunday. Um yeah, I mean, for, for people who are casual racers or, you know, you just, Daytona is, a, is very easy to digest though. When you get to see it on TV, it's basically all the cars are on oh, one yeah. screen. They run really close. They, oh, it's crazy. They bump. They, you know, they, they wiggle around a little bit. Um, you know, there's n- not a crazy amount to pit strategy. You know, you need to pit together because if you pull out on the track by yourself, you don't get that aerodynamic advantage. So you're going to be, you know, um, you know, stranded out there. But they put on a pretty good show and that the broadcast has a lot of sizzle to it. So. Uh, that's the first one, though, without Kevin Harvick in like 23, 24 years. First time without Happy, yeah. yeah he packed it in, uh, full-time retired now. Um, but, you know, one of our old friends from the past, Jimmy Johnson, uh, this is one of his nine, I think he's running nine races yes. this year. Um, and he's he's not locked in. He's got to try and qualify. Like Jimmy, arguably as good as any driver in the history of the yes. sport and he's got to fight his way in so the like the the only thing that he's got to his advantage is that the the guy even the guys who are locked in they're locked in with the car they qualified with and they've got to take it easy they can't really take a chance that they get into an accident because then they have to go to a backup car they have to start at the back so he can afford to be a little bit more aggressive around these guys because they want. They don't want to have to go to the backup car because the backup cars are definitely not as good as the primary car. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be running that other car. So it'd be good to see you know seven time make it in there. Who are you picking? Uh, the the Hendrick guys have been almost unstoppable the last bunch of years. Um, it just comes down. Um, you know, Kyle Larson is due for one. Um, Kyle Busch somehow has made it. He's won absolutely everything there is to win, but he hasn't been able to do a lot on the restrictor play tracks or the tapered spacer, whatever we call them now. Um, it would be good to see one of those two guys. I mean, Kyle Larson's, you know, just been on fire the last bunch of years. Um, but to see Bush get one Daytona 500 before, he, you know, whenever his career is over, that would be pretty cool to see as well. Yeah. Colin, great stuff as always, man. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll actually have some racing results to discuss uh, next week from Daytona. And then, of course, you got the testing. So uh, racing really starting to heat up. We appreciate it. Have a good one. Back into it. There you go. That's uh, Colin Lemison joins us every Thursday in the Racing Report, brought to you by Can Torque. Uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, TR is going to join us uh, for a segment. Oh, my God. I can't wait. This is going to be hilarious. Uh, he'll join us. It's, well, it's funny for us because we're not involved. Anybody who's had travel delays, you hate it. We all get it. But it's kind of like when you see someone get kicked in the nards. You laugh, even though you know that it doesn't feel good. It's just one of those instant laugh things. So we'll talk about that with TR. Uh, set up the uh, the order game. We got uh, spec coming up a little bit later on and much, much more. Thursday edition of the Gregor Show presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Here's Connor Halley. Sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. Tires, you know it. They got it. They got you covered. Any type of tire, any size of tire, they will deliver it. But also, you got any mechanical issues on your vehicle? Book your appointment today at FountainTire.com. They can help you out.